The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. When you open up the pages of your Bible, one thing that I think can be a little bit intimidating is you start looking around and you go, wait a second, Acts, okay, and then Romans. Is Romans like a continuation from Acts? But as I'm reading it, it looks like it's a totally different thing. And then I'm jumping to Hebrews, and I don't really know what's going on here because there's not like a prologue that tells me who the audience is or the circumstances exactly. And even if you read in some of these things, you can figure some of that stuff out, but it's just tough. And this is a, a little bit of a challenge as far as an entry point with all the Bible. The Bible is not one continuous book. It is, in a sense, but it's also a collection of 66 distinct pieces of literature, divine literature, literature that was inspired by the Spirit of God. But still, how do these puzzle pieces fit together? And that's probably a helpful way to think about it, right? You open your Bible, especially in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all the way to Revelation, and each one is a puzzle piece. Okay, so uh, you, you know how puzzles work. Whether you're a puzzle person or not, the way you do a puzzle is, first thing, dump all the pieces out, and then flip the box top over. Because as you look at each individual piece, there may be some things you could discern by some of the color patterns or whatever, but the easiest way to start putting those pieces together is to look at the full picture, to study it, to understand it, and then you start looking at the individual pieces. Start putting those individual pieces together with the pieces that are connected to them, and then you can build the whole picture. That's the same way whenever you're reading the New Testament. Now, the fact is, you can start in Matthew and go to Revelation, and because God is brilliant and because the way God put the scriptures together is amazing, you can get a lot out of it. But you may run into some uh, challenges at certain points. You read First John, and you're like, wait a second, when was this written? And what's its relationship to the Gospel of John, for instance? Or you read in the book of Acts, and you read about cities like Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica, and then later on you come across books in the New Testament like Ephesus, uh, excuse me, Ephesians and Philippians and First and Second Thessalonians. You wonder, wait, when were these letters written in relation to that? We want to try to map some of that out. We're going to do a few episodes here at the beginning of 2021 that might help you to get a better lay of the land of the New Testament so that you can put some of these things together. I think one helpful way to think about the New Testament is that there's really one overarching message, and it's the message that Jesus preached. It's the message that his apostles preached. It's the message that permeates the entirety of the gospel story going all the way back to the prophets of the Old Testament of Israel, going all the way to the very end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation. The New Testament is, a, is the story about the kingdom of God. How is God going to show up? Jesus taught his disciples to pray that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And whenever you read through the New Testament, you see constant references. Jesus is the king. His kingdom is everlasting. You, you can secure entrance into that kingdom. The kingdoms of this world will never overpower the kingdom of the beloved son. You've been transferred out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of Jesus, the son of God. So maybe one way to think about the documents of the New Testament is as a, as a whole, as a unit, 
The New Testament is the manifesto of the kingdom. What does it mean that Jesus is king? How is it supposed to impact our lives? The stories that get selected, for instance, in the history book, the book of Acts, that tells about the early church is an explanation of life in the kingdom of Christ and how radically different it is from life in the kingdoms of the world. The letters, Romans, Ephesians, 2 John, Jude, Revelation, all those are telling us about the significance of the kingdom and how to live in it. The book of Acts opens this way. Uh, If you have a Bible, or if you want to pause this and open up your Bible app, or open up a paper Bible if you use one, uh, that would probably be better. But if you're using digital app, that's okay. Anyway, open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1, and listen to how the book of Acts, which is the story that the New Testament uh, lives in, this is the history book that all the letters in some way uh, have a connection to, is the story of the kingdom of God. It starts this way, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. By the way, this is a reference to the Gospel of Luke. Luke was the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, two history books. The book of Luke tells the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach, the things that he did while he was on earth. The book of Acts tells the story about what Jesus continued doing and continued teaching, not by being on earth himself, but through his followers who embodied his character and carried his message out into the world. Notice what uh, Luke says about that. We continue the reading. He says, I told you all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2 of Acts chapter 1, until the day when he, that is Jesus, was taken up, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The apostles were a special group, ultimately of 12 men that Jesus had selected and uh, appointed to be his witnesses his divine messengers, people that would they would go out and tell people, hey, hey, I know you've heard legends of different gods and goddesses, and I know you've even heard legends about the Jesus of Nazareth. Let me tell you the truth. I was there. I saw him heal the blind. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him die on the cross. I saw him risen again, and I saw him ascend to the throne of heaven. Verse 3 says, To these he also presented alive, presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. In the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, before he returned to the Father, his message to his disciples was concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, In a little while, Jesus goes on to speak to them about his Holy Spirit that he would send upon the apostles and that would animate the kingdom of God and make it something different than the kingdoms of the world. Verse 6, they came together and they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? What what about this kingdom, Lord? You've been telling us about the kingdom. You've been maybe pointing us back to the prophets of old who prophesied of the kingdom. Uh, Is it now? Is it all going to happen now? And what's it going to mean? And what's it going to look like? Jesus says, It's not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Here Jesus lays out a roadmap for the book of Acts and, frankly, for the entire story of the kingdom as it's recorded in the New Testament and as it continues on to this day. Jesus says, you guys are going to bear witness. You're going to tell people, yeah, 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 Jesus really rose from the dead. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It'll radiate out into surrounding uh, 
cities and towns and communities in the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then eventually it's going to expand and radiate out into all of the earth because the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom that spans space and time. It's not bound by culture or chronology or any of the things that other kingdoms are bound by. Jesus says, I want you to go out, do the things that I did, teach the things that I taught, promote the message that I've given to you, and for these apostles in particular, bear witness of the reality of my victory and rule over sin and death. That's what happens. Uh, The first couple of chapters of the book of Acts emphasize exactly what Jesus said, the authority and the power that would come upon them. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2. They begin preaching. People are amazed and convicted. The end of Acts chapter 2 records how the people who first heard the good news of the kingdom of Jesus and the rule of King Jesus from heaven, they hear it. Oh man, what shall we do? Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter and the other apostles respond and they say, well, you need to repent. You need to turn away from the kingdoms of the world and the ways of the world Give your life to Jesus and be baptized so that you will be in Christ. You'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that empowering presence of God. People did. And what the Spirit empowered people to do was amazing. You read the end of Acts chapter 2, and it speaks of their devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. They sell their possessions to give to one another. There's this new family, a family, by the way, of many nations. It's not just people from Jerusalem. There were people from all over the world who had come to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And here's this multicultural family loving each other, serving each other, saying, hey, my possessions aren't worth it. I'm going to give them up. Uh, they're, They're learning more and more about what the apostles and believing more firmly in the doctrine that the apostles, the eyewitnesses of King Jesus, were teaching. Not only that, they were people of joy. In Acts chapter 2, and if you look around verse uh, 47, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. The end of verse 46 said they were taking their meals together with gladness and simplicity of heart. They're content. They're joyful. They're doing well. And also people were noticing day by day people were being added. The power of this kingdom was immense. But as much as that power was real and immense for the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus opposition arose almost immediately. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the apostles to whom Jesus had given the miraculous ability at that time to to heal people, to raise people who were sick, they perform this miracle and then they preach Jesus because the crowd was amazed. What's going on here? And they say, well, it wasn't by our power. It was Jesus that really did this. And they preach the good news about King Jesus. Well, the leadership there in Jerusalem, who by the way, just a couple months before, had executed Jesus, who they thought was a blasphemer and who they rejected, not that he was not the Christ. These people uh, took Peter and John. They arrest them. They end up releasing them, and the apostles and the rest of the disciples keep on preaching and serving and doing all the stuff they were doing, but that wasn't the last time. After the arrest and release in Acts chapter 4, they get arrested again in Acts chapter 5, and then again in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we see the arrest of one particular disciple named Stephen. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles, But he was a really influential member of the early church. And what ended up happening after his confrontation with the leadership at that time, Stephen ends up being killed. Now you would think all this power and all this greatness, it got cut off. It was all over. And you would think, you know what, it was a good try, guys. Maybe the kingdom's not going to work out. The suffering and the persecution of the early church didn't stop the early church from continuing on their mission. Read what happens at the end of uh, Acts chapter 7, 
Well, let's look at the beginning of chapter 8. There's a man named Saul. We'll get to him in another episode. Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. The apostles remained there in Jerusalem. Some devout men buried Stephen and mourned loudly for him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. I mean, this is devastating. One of our guys, one of our leaders, Stephen, has been killed. And you know what? The apostles have got arrested multiple times. What's going to happen to them? By the way, later on, James, one of the apostles, would be uh, similarly martyred. And of course, this is just, uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to make it? If even our leaders can't survive, how are the rest of us going to survive? We don't even know how to do this, really. We're just learning how to follow Jesus. But the suffering and persecution of the kingdom didn't stop it. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered went through every place preaching the word. They didn't stop. They didn't let their, the suffering that came upon them in the world didn't overcome the power of the kingdom rule of Jesus. Now, we're left with the question, how did they keep this perspective? How did they keep on going? How did they keep on serving? How did they maintain their loyalty to King Jesus and their devotion to his kingdom cause? It's about Jesus, and that's true. And then Acts happened next, because that's what happens after Jesus goes back to heaven and he leaves his apostles on earth. That's true also. But then some of people think, okay, so then like Romans happened after Acts and 1 Corinthians happened after Well, that's not true. Okay, this is where we get into a little bit of messy territory, is the letters of the New Testament are all sort of jumbled up chronologically. Now, to be fair, the book of James doesn't explicitly say when it was written. But when you look at the contents of the book, there's a few different hints that would lead us to this. Uh, it seems like it was probably the earliest communication written uh, telling Christians how to live. And by the way, back to what we said earlier, that's really what the letters are. The letters, Acts tells you the story of how the Christians, the early Christians lived. Romans through Revelation tells you why and how and the thoughts behind that actual lifestyle that you see pop up in the book of Acts. Anyway, check it out. Remember what we read in chapter uh, Acts chapter 8? All those who were persecuted have been scattered. The suffering, it looked like it was overpowering the power of the Spirit that was working in King Jesus' kingdom. Listen to who James is writing to. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, a way of describing the early church at that time, which, by the way, was made up of almost exclusively, well, at the very beginning, exclusively Jews, members of the twelve tribes of Israel, but that phrase, 12 tribes, probably also is just a way to talk about God's people, Jew or Gentile, no matter ethnicity. But here's what he says to the 12 tribes who are scattered or dispersed abroad. It seems to me that James was written to those people who were scattered because of the persecution. And what James writes about is, uh, or the things that James writes about, helps us understand how these Christians just kept on going. Remember what Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 said. They went about preaching the word. They didn't give up on their faith. The power of God in Jesus Christ by his spirit was filling these followers of Jesus. So they just kept on talking about Jesus. It didn't stop them. The fact that they were suffering, the fact they were getting thrown in jail, the fact that their friends and loved ones were being killed, they said, hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep on serving Jesus. We're going to keep on talking about Jesus. And James gives us a little insight into the perspective that the early Christians had. James 1 continues in verse 2. It says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, 
like arrest, like being beat up, like having people killed, like being killed. Wait a second. Joy? How could it be joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith, your relationship to Jesus, produces endurance. And that endurance will have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. People who believe in the King Jesus gospel, people who've given their lives over to Jesus, people who live in the kingdom, are people who understand this world isn't enough. And that's what the Kingdom Manifesto tells you. When you read the pages of the New Testament, when you read all the scriptures, it tells you, man, this world is not enough. It's filled with selfishness and brokenness and injustice and immorality and hate and greed and corruption and pain and death, all the bad stuff that we all try to rise above and figure out how to get past, but we can't quite get it. James says, listen, guys, remember in Jesus, we found the secret. We found the power to overcome suffering. And so we're not going to give in. We're not going to be like the world. We're going to live a different kind of path. The book of James talks about a wide variety of practical ways to execute kingdom life. But I really, really like the section almost exactly in the middle of the book at the end of chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? In other words, who among you can navigate life in an effective way? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness or the meekness of wisdom. Meekness like King Jesus. Meekness like those who follow after Jesus. And yeah, you're not going to look powerful in the world's eyes. You're selling your possessions. You're talking about a crucified king. You're, you're people who are just happy in your day-to-day life. Even whenever you're getting beat up, you're rejoicing because you're suffering. What's wrong with you people? Nothing's wrong. We just believe in King Jesus. And we believe in the power, not from, verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and arrogance and lies, which is, by the way, the power that the world relies on. But we believe in the wisdom that comes from above. You know, that selfishness, envy, all that bad stuff, James says in James 3, verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. And where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And don't we know that's true? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and free of hypocrisy. Here's the kicker. And here's the promise of the power of the kingdom of Jesus. In the face of all suffering and all persecution, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus came to establish his kingdom so that it would be, so that he would be the prince of peace. And his rule would be one of peace, and his kingdom would be one of peace, and his people would be soldiers of peace. And if you come to the pages of the New Testament, if you read these divine books that teach us about how to live rightly in God's eyes, rightly as human beings made in his image, you'll find real peace. It doesn't mean you're going to find ease all the time. There's going to be suffering. Remember, he said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. We'll suffer just like Stephen did, just like the early church did all the way across. But we'll know that in the end, that those seeds of righteousness that we sow as we follow after King Jesus, it'll produce peace. Thanks for listening. We're looking forward to the next few weeks as we go on this journey, um, walking through, uh, really flying over the map of the New Testament, this map that leads us home to God himself.
Thanks for listening. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.